Thank you both very much for leading us in worship, real, true, accurate worship. I'm going to be reading from Judges chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 this morning. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubbaal rule over you, or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh." And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow, to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Barith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house in Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbaal, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, all and all Beth Melo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar of Shechem. This is the word of God. You can be seated. While you're being seated, would you please bow with me? Father, this is a serious text. This is a somber text. It's a sad one as well. Father, I pray that you would please, of course, keep us from a life like this. Keep us from such sinfulness and foolishness, Lord. None of us, none of us, though we deceive ourselves, none of us is exempt from such atrocities. We can all fall into a horribly sinful lifestyle. Lord, I pray, thanking you, that Jesus Christ frees sinners, just as we sang about. And I pray, Lord, that he would even do it this morning. I pray that if there's someone here this morning that's not saved, that he or she will come to know Christ this morning, that this will be the morning for faith, for the first time in Christ. I pray for others, Lord, in here that have known the Lord Jesus, maybe even for many decades, Lord, that you would speak something fresh to their ears this morning and continue to lead us in the faith through your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you all very much for coming this morning. This message this morning I've titled, My Kingdom Come, My Will Be Done. As you, of course, realize, this is a play on words of the Lord's Prayer, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, which is when we pray to God, we say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come, and I want your will to be done. This is flipped on its head. My kingdom come, my will be done. When we go against God's laws, Specifically, what I'm talking about is the Ten Commandments, which we'll get into later. We can be sure that we're trying to set up our own kingdom. Let me say that again. When we go against God's laws, we can be sure that we're trying to set up our own kingdom with our own laws. To accomplish our own will. We show this. How? Well, because we're willingly breaking the laws that the Lord God, the King of the universe, we were willingly breaking the laws that he has laid down for us. And in breaking the laws of the king, we're saying that we're above the king. We're also reversing the very purpose for which we've been made. What purpose have we been made for? We were made to glorify God, not self. We have an inner 
sinful drive in us, all of us do, to promote self above everything and to promote our love for self above all other people. And why is that? Well, it's a result of the fall. When mankind was plunged into sin through our representatives, Adam and Eve, when that happened, there was a corrupting. There was a corrupting of our soul that now every man is born with, and it took place that day in the garden. And we see that on display here in our text this morning, the corrupting of the soul, especially of one man, Abimelech, which as we learned from the last time I preached, if we back up to chapter 8, we learn that this Abimelech is the son, one of the sons of Gideon. But he was different. He was different from all the other sons because he had this Abimelech with one of his concubines. She was not a Jew. She was from Shechem. She was a Shechemite. And his name means son of a king, remember? Though Gideon said, I won't be your king. I won't rule over you. We saw and we learned that. But he was living like a king. And he must have thought himself to be a king because he named his son son of a king. That's what Abimelech means. And so we see very shockingly on display this morning that there's been an extreme corrupting of the soul of Abimelech. Abimelech seems to have become a law to himself, doesn't he? Because he's disregarding the laws of God if he knows them at all. We don't even know if he knows the law of God at all. Remember what book we're in. We're in the book of Judges, a horrible time in the history of the Jews. The word of God had been largely forgotten. And they were chasing after one false god after another, going through the sin cycle of chasing after the god, God raising up a nation to come and invade them, them being in prison, as it were, for years. Then they say, please save us. God sends them a savior in the form of a judge. He delivers them. They have a time of peace. They get restful, and they go back into the sin cycle all over again. So we don't even know if Abimelech even knew the law of God. However, we do know that he was born with one thing that all men are born with. It's called a conscience. Conscience is made up of two words, con, which means with, and then the word science, which means knowledge. Conscience means every time we sin, we sin with the knowledge, with knowledge that it's wrong. So whether or not he knew that God's law was binding upon him, the conscience that God had implanted in him was an advocate to the law. Our conscience bears witness with God's law, declaring it to be true. Which is why we have to go against conscience when we willingly break God's laws. So God's laws that I'm referring to, like I said earlier, are the Ten Commandments. These are God's moral laws. I want us to look over them this morning because they're going to be sort of a foundation. A foundation for what's happening with Abimelech. They're going to show why Abimelech was able to commit such atrocities because he kept going against one and another and another of these laws. So, so let's look at these laws. We're going to bring up the first five here. We're going to look at all, all ten. But as you know, the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. God is one. He is the only true, real God. All of the gods are actually false gods, lowercase g gods. They're either false gods that are made by men or they are demons 
parading around as if they were gods. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. God is spirit. He has no image that we may behold him. And even when he came in the second person of the Trinity, the form of Christ in that body, guess what? That body was not so important that any image needed to be made of it. That's why an image of what Jesus Christ looked like doesn't remain to this day because we don't need it. This is all the image of Christ that we need, the Word of God. In the Word of God, we see Christ. We don't need an image. And if we make an image, guess what? We're forming it with our own hands, and therefore it is, by definition, man-made. And God makes man. Men don't make God. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord's name is so special that we are to revere it. And this isn't just talking about saying GD. That is bad. And that is dragging the Lord's name through the mud as if it was just some common four-letter cuss word. For example, you wouldn't want me to use your mother's name as a cuss word. So you definitely wouldn't want me to use the Lord's name as a cuss word either. But this is any time we regard the Lord's name as just not so important. Speaking about God in some sort of frivolous way as if he's not worthy of all respect and honor and glory and fame and majesty, right? Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God requires for man one day in seven for his worship, for rest and worshiping specifically in a focused way, in a corporate way, the Lord God. The first four deal with how we relate to our God. Five through six deal with how we relate to one another. So let's look at number five. Honor your father and your mother. There we go. Isn't it interesting? I always thought this was so interesting. That honoring your, honor, honor your father and your mother made it into God's top 10. Do you realize that? I mean, really, think about that. We've got murder, stealing, Lying, adultery. Yeah, I can see why those would be in there. But isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? Children and even us adults, honor your father and your mother made it into God's top 10. Wow, that's always just kind of shocked me. That's how important it is to God that we honor our parents. Children, the only time you're actually able to go against your parents and it be okay with God is if your parents tell you to sin or if your parents keep you from worshiping God. That's the only time you're able to actually go against your parents. And you know good and well, though, that usually when you're mad at your mom and dad for something, it's not because they're trying to make you sin. (laughs) It's not because they're trying to keep you from worshiping God. It's simply because you just don't like what they're saying, right? But God is very serious that we honor our father and our mother. How we respond to authority figures in the home is gonna set the stage for how we respond to authority figures in the world. I tell my children often, well, no, not as often as I used to. I don't really have to anymore. Sort of been trained up now. They're a bit older. But I've told them in the past, listen, if you don't learn to obey mommy and daddy, then a police officer is going to teach you obedience. And you don't want that. So learn how to respect authority in the home, and then you'll learn how to respect authority in the world. (laughs) Because mommy and daddy are going to do it a lot more gracefully than the police officers will. Number six is this, that we are, of course, not to murder. 
You know, man is made in the image of God. We actually sung that in one of our songs. The, the second song we sang, we made a reference to that, that we're made in the image of God. That's why it's actually bad for us to murder another human being because we're actually murdering someone who's made in the image of God. It's also bad simply because we're taking the life of someone that we should not be taking the life of. However, when we murder someone, we're showing even disrespect to God because we've sent someone made in his image. Isn't it interesting that when David wrote Psalm 51, which was his great repentance after the sin with Bathsheba, taking a woman that wasn't his, murdering her husband. Isn't it interesting that David said, against you, you alone, God, have I sinned? Really? You didn't sin against Bathsheba? You didn't sin against Uriah? Yes, of course he did. But ultimately, it shows all sins are ultimately against God. That's why murder's ultimately wrong. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. This is so very important because when we enter into marriage, we have made holy covenant vows before God, saying, I will be true to this person for the rest of my days until I die. And there's something that's representative of that, of the new covenant, because we're told in the word of God in Ephesians, that marriage has something about it that represents Christ and the church. So to go against a spouse, to dishonor a spouse in that way, is to break a covenant that's holy and special, a binding covenant that we've made before Almighty God. What about eight? You shall not steal. Of course, stealing is wrong because you're not doing what God says when he says, let him who steals steal no more. Let him work with his hands. We're supposed to work with our hands. Have you thought about in the garden, God gave man, even when he, man was in his sinless state, God gave man meaningful work till the garden. We sort of think of heaven like eternal golf courses. I just get to sit down and do nothing all day. Well, in the garden, Adam worked, but it was meaningful and it was enjoyable. And our work here on earth, that's why when I became a Christian, it was so weird. Everything changed for me, of course, naturally. You guys are like, yes, Cohen, everything's supposed to change when you get saved. Even my view of work changed. Because then the Bible it also says, do your work as unto the Lord, as if you're doing it for God, not for man. And I was able to work for the first time to give God glory, not just, what's the least I can do and get paid the most and go home and be done with this? I don't like my boss, I don't like my job. No, it changed because I was working and earning and able to get things for myself and take a sense of ownership in those and it feel good and build character. Stealing derails all that. You're taking something that's not yours, you didn't work for it, you didn't glorify God to get it. You took it from someone else who may have. That's why it's also wrong. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness. This is specifically in the context of like a, a court hearing, like bearing false witness, saying, oh no, this is actually what happened, either to get yourself off the hook or maybe your friend off the hook. But it covers all lying. And it's bad because God is a God of truth, righteousness, justice. And to lie is the opposite of all that. Deception, falsehood, unrighteousness. So it flies in the face of everything God is. And then lastly, you shall not 
covet. What does that even mean? Sometimes we even use that things like, oh, I covet your skills and things like that. But what does it actually mean to covet? It's very different from just desiring. Like I could say to Brendan, I like your watch. I think I'm going to get one like that. That's not coveting. That's saying, oh, I like that. I'm going to save up my money and get one just like that. Coveting would be this. Brandon, I like your watch. Give it to me or I'll kill you. It's not, I like your watch. It's like, I I want that one right there. It's like that song, Jesse's Girl. He says, where can I find a woman like that? But then at the end of the song, what's he say? I want Jesse's girl. It's like, wow, you, you really flipped there. Where can I find a woman like that to ending with, no, actually, I want her. I don't know how it ended up with Jesse. Let's hope he wasn't murdered and taken so he could get Jesse's girl. But that's what coveting is. It's, no, I want that, and I'll do anything I can do to get it. In the context of Exodus 20, where these Ten Commandments come from, it says, don't covet your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's home, your neighbor's spouse even. Anything that is your neighbor's, he says. And again, this is doing anything to get that. And it covers all aspects of someone else's life. And it's the last of the Ten Commandments that Abimelech first committed. It's the last of the ten that he first committed in what way Abimelech coveted the kingdom. You see what it says there in verse 2 of Judges 9, saying the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that the 70 sons of Jerubbaal, that's Gideon, by the way. That's, that name is what he earned as sort of a nickname for contending with Baal, because that's what that word means. He says, which one is better for you, that that the 70 sons should rule over you or that just one, I, should rule over you? And he sort of had a political advantage too, this Abimelech, because he went to the Shechemites. His mom was a Shechemite, but his dad was Jewish. Now, there were lots of Jews living in this land where he was with the Shechemites at that time too. So his mom represented the Shechemites. He, his dad, represented the Jews. So it was sort of like, hey, you Shechemites, if you'll give me the thumbs up, since you guys rule this part of the land, well then guess what? I can also sort of represent the Jews. Plus also, think about it. If we say one of Gideon's sons are going to be king, which one are we going to pick? There's 70 of them for crying out loud. And if some of you are wondering, he had many wives. Okay, this wasn't just with one woman. Bless her heart. Many wives produced these 70 sons. So he's saying, hey, we can streamline this process. Just pick me. After all, I'm kind of one of you. Half. And they say, yeah, let's do that. He coveted a kingdom. How do we know he coveted it? Well, we know that he coveted his kingdom because he did whatever was needed to get it done, to get the kingdom for himself. And what was that? Well, by then committing, breaking rather, command number six, murdering. He went to Gideon's house in Oprah, I mean Ophrah, rather, and he sought them out, all 70 of them, and murdered them, it says, on one stone. We're not told how they were murdered, but on a stone, I'm thinking these must have been beheadings. This would not have been quick. This was planned. It was horrific and tragic 
and took a long time. You don't kill 70 men quickly on one stone. He was taking pleasure in this, I believe. This is a wicked man. A wicked man. Setting himself up above God because he's willingly breaking God's laws to get anything he can get. What else? Well, was he also not dishonoring his father? Command number five. He killed all of his father's sons. Now, at this point, point, Gideon is dead. Remember, Gideon died in the last chapter, so he's, he's no longer living. However, isn't he bringing shame upon the name of his father? Think about it. If any of you in here have ever had a, maybe a child that's been in, in jail before, it's a shameful thing. It is. I'm not saying you should say, shame on you, son, for going to jail. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you've got a, a son or a daughter in prison, it's sad. And it's a shameful thing. If you've got a son or a daughter who's a criminal, guilty criminal, it's a shameful thing, isn't it? There is hope for them, though, isn't there? There's hope for any sinner. Any criminal can repent. We even have a great example of that in the scriptures. The thief, criminal, on the cross, right beside Jesus Christ. Today you'll be with me in paradise because he put faith in Jesus. So there's hope for any of them. However, what a dishonoring of his father to murder all of his half-brothers, except for one, which we'll talk about in a moment dishonoring his father, number five. Next, he puts himself above God, which is command number one. How did Abimelech put himself above God? The scriptures say, you shall have no other gods before me. He put himself above God by living according to his own laws to take a kingdom for himself. My kingdom come, my will be done, is what he was essentially saying. He said, I don't care what the law says, what God's laws say, I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, that's very brazen, and most people don't say it that way. However, we see many people living that way, even in our own day, looking at the Word of God and saying, I don't care what that old book says, I'm going to do what I want to do, the way I want to do it, with who I want to do it with. I am putting myself above that book. It's an old book anyway. And it's just written by men. Don't tell me it has authority over me. No one has authority over me but me. I am my own God. And that's what they're saying. I've never had anybody brazenly say that to my face, but I've had people brazenly text it to me before in a message. And then lastly, he broke the second command. How so? He didn't necessarily break it by making an idol, but he did join himself to idol worshipers by taking from the idol treasury. Remember, it says that they gave him money from the house of Baal, Barith. And if you recall from my last message from chapter eight, we said, what is this Baal, Barith? Well, Baal, we know is the false god. Barith is the word covenant. Remember that from a few Sundays ago? We talked about the mixing of the worship of Baal, trying to make it sort of Jewish, Jewish-like. 
Because these Jewish people are the people of the covenant. God made his covenant with Abraham. And from Abraham came all the Jews. Abraham was the first Jew. God said, I'm making this promise to you. I'm making my covenant with you. Genesis 12, Genesis 15. And from there came the covenant people. And so they sort of tried to sanitize this Baal, tried to make him sort of Jewish. Let's call him Baal of the covenant. And he's still around because we see that they got money from the house of Baal, Barith, and gave it to Abimelech in verse 4. And he hired with it worthless and reckless fellows. These would be like contract mercenaries. And these guys, they were worthless. They didn't care who they hurt. They're just in it for number one, pay me and I'll do whatever you want. I don't care. And how did he fund them? With the funds of a temple of a false god. Now we Christians, we know that if there's anything tainted by the worship of a false god, we want to stay very far away from that, don't we? Don't we? Why would we ever incorporate ourselves with anything that celebrated or showed that someone else celebrated the worship of any other God. Why would we do that? We never would. And so, that's why I said he, he joined himself to idol worshipers here, breaking commandment number two. You know, the one son that got away, before he gets away, he takes this opportunity. I don't know if everyone's so shocked that, whoa, there's still one alive, but he gets a, he gets a stage, he gets a platform for a moment, and he gives what is really the first parable in the entire Bible. And he tells this story in the later verses of this section. And he says, let me say this to you. And he tells a story about the trees. The trees wanted a king. And so they go to the olive tree, and the olive tree says, oh, no, I can't give up my olive oil, make up my olive oil, and then to focus on being the king of all you trees. So then he says, so then the trees go to the fig tree, and say, you be king over us. And he says, oh no, I can't give up the making of my figs, my sweet figs, to focus on being a king over you. So then they go to the, the grapevine, and they say, be our king. And, and the grapevine says, oh no, I can't, I can't go away from making this wine that, that brings joy to the heart of men to be your king. And, and then he says, and then the trees went to the thorn bush and said, be our king. And, and the thorn bush said, ah, yes. You can come and find shelter under my shade. And then he said this, but fire is going to come out from the thorn bush and consume you. And fire is going to come out from you and consume the thorn bush. And then he leaves. And what we find through the rest of the chapter is what he says, sort of like almost a prophecy comes to pass. Because this thorn bush represents Abimelech. First of all, Abimelech has nothing to offer the people, just like a thorn bush actually does not offer any shade. It's a thorn bush. It's not a tree of Lebanon. A thorn bush offers no shade. It's an empty promise, much like our political leaders. <laughs> it's an empty promise. And he says, what's, what's this business about fire coming out? Well, where, where'd fire come from when it comes to these thorn bushes? Well, there's parables told in the New Testament about weeds being chopped down and thrown into the fire. 
Also, these were low-lying sort of thorny bushes. And when there was fire that spread across, we might call them prairie fires. When something like that happened back in that day, those thorny bushes were the ones that carried the fires all around. So these bushes are sort of thought about when you think about fire because they were used to fuel fire. And when the fire spread, it usually spread through these thorny bushes that were ground cover. And what this one survivor says happens for the rest of the chapter. It's actually the longest chapter in the book of Judges. 54 verses, if I'm not mistaken. And the rest of the chapter goes to tell about how the people of Shechem eventually turned against Abimelech. And Abimelech turns against them and kills hundreds of them, chases the survivors to a tower and has them trapped in there And as you see in movies, sometimes they throw stones from the top of the towers to hit the guys that are trying to get in the gates. A woman throws a stone. It hits Abimelech. And he's dying. And he says to one of his helpers, please kill me, lest they say a woman killed me. It was a very shameful thing for a a man of war back in that day to be killed by a woman. And his friend runs him through and kills him. Martin Lord Jones said this, the sinner is a monstrosity in God's universe and he needs to know it. The sinner is a monstrosity in God's universe and he needs to know it. What does that mean? What does he mean by that? He means that mankind is the only thing that God created from the six days of creation that had the audacity to disobey him. Think about the sun, moon, and the stars. God created them to give light. God created the sun to govern the starting and the finishing of a day. God made the moon to govern the months, the ending of the calendar year, and all these things. And so they do. And it wasn't the plants that rebelled against God, nor the trees. God gave them to give beauty and color to his world, to freshen our air, to make oxygen also to give us fruits and vegetables, and so they do. And it wasn't the animals that rebelled against God. God created them to display his creative genius. Have you not thought and looked at different animals and thought, wow, God is so wise. He created them to migrate across this earth, to eat grass, to fertilize the soil, and to reproduce according to their kind, and so they do. But man... Man was different from all of God's creation. Man was made in the image of God to display God's good image here in this world, to glorify God by enjoying him forever and to spread that image around all over the world. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Take my image with you. Spread my goodness, my character as you go. That's what we were made to do while we were enjoying God forever. And mankind didn't. You see, we're the rebels in God's creation. Even when man only had one law. Do you realize that in the garden there was only one law? You shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even when man had one law, we broke it. See, God's always operated with his people with law. It shows the genuineness of your obedience when there's actually something to obey. 
and even then we transgressed it. See, Abimelech put himself above God by ignoring God's word, just like Adam and Eve did. Put themselves above God's word that day. I know what God has said, however, and anytime we have that phrase in our head, I know what God's word says, but you've put yourself above God. And we've all done that, haven't we? I know Cohen Ezel has too many times. And thank the Lord, since I've been converted, now it breaks my heart. Before, I didn't care. Now I do. I feel dirty now when I sin, when I do that. And it drives me to repentance. Because that's the right reaction of someone who's truly saved. But not Abimelech. He coveted a kingdom. He murdered. He dishonored his father. He benefited from the treasury of the house of Baal. And this all led him into ruin. Look how his life ended up. He got everything he wanted and everything he didn't want. What's the point? What's the point of all this? What's the point of this section? What's the point of this chapter? Just a history lesson about some guy who was bad and then died? The end? No, it's not just information download. The point is this, ruin comes upon those who despise God's law and attempt to become a law to themselves. Let me say that again. Ruin comes upon those who despise God's law and attempt to become a law to themselves. Ruin comes upon them. You're promised freedom and happiness and all these beautiful, shiny things in this world when you go against God's word. That's what the devil promises you. You want to be really free? You want to be really happy? Throw the Bible away. It is a cage. It is keeping you in this old patriarchal system. Ugh. Throw it away. Do exactly what you want to do, when you want to do it, with whom you want to do it with, and then you'll be happy. You find people that have been doing that for years and years and years. How's that working out for them? You say, well, I see these movie stars. It's working out great for them. Yeah, it sure is. That's why he's on his fifth wife. He's so happy. Just last year, two of the richest men on planet Earth, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, divorced. And look at the owner of electric car company, Tesla, what's his name? Elon Musk. You know how many children he has with how many different women? Sure seems content. You'd say, well, I'd rather have money than contentment. No, you wouldn't. Trust me. No, you wouldn't. Some of the happiest people you'll ever meet, even if they're poor, are content people. And contentment is only found in Christ. The world's singing, I can't get no satisfaction. We're singing in our hymns, I'm satisfied in Jesus. Don't buy his lies. Don't buy the devil's lies. They will ruin you. 
Look at Abimelech. The point, ruin comes upon those who despise God's law and attempt to become a law to themselves instead of fulfilling the very thing we were made for, which is to glorify God and advance his kingdom, his image here on this earth. That's why we pray. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because we're supposed to point to God. That's where we find our greatest fulfillment in pointing to God. Instead of that, we're tempted to transgress God's laws. My kingdom come, my will be done leads to our ruin. But there's hope for those. There's hope for you, sinner. If you've transgressed God's laws, there is hope. How is there hope for me, you ask? There's someone who came who never transgressed God's laws. That's how you have hope. Listen to what Alistair Begg said. The law given to Moses is fulfilled perfectly by Christ. And the law is given not to bestow salvation on men and women, but to convince men and women that we need salvation. The law is not put there saying, keep these perfectly and I'll let you in heaven. The law is given so we look at them and we say, I've broken those. Exactly. That's why you need my Savior. Here is my son. He has perfectly kept them. Put your faith and trust in him. See, believing God at his word is how we're saved. Believing God at his word in which areas? Two, especially, number one, that we've broken his laws and therefore we're guilty and therefore we need a savior. And number two, believing that Jesus Christ is that savior. Believing that Jesus Christ did come into this world, lived a perfect sinless life, perfectly kept God's laws, perfectly obeyed God's will, perfectly gave the message of salvation to all who would hear him. Then he laid down his life willingly, shed his blood and died and was buried. If we put our faith and trust in what he did for us, believing that he took the punishment that we deserve, then we can be saved and will be saved. Why? Because he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And he's coming again one day to set up the real kingdom, his kingdom, that we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. It is going to come. And you'll be glad if you were living your life to establish his kingdom, always pointing to the king, and not to self. Those who have been pointing to self, those like Abimelech, those who transgress God's laws to build their own kingdom, on that day will be ashamed. And it's too late on that day. When Jesus splits the heavens open, decision time's over. That's why today is the day of salvation. Today's the day for you to come. And guess what? Here's the good news. Jesus wants you to come. But Cohen, I'm so messed up. You don't know how bad I am. Maybe not, but Jesus does, and he's still inviting you to come. But I just don't think he would forgive me. I don't care what you think. What I care about is what the word of God says. And what the word of God says is that he will forgive repentant sinners who come to him. But Cohen, no more but Cohen's. Believe God at his word. Sinner, he will save you. Trust me, if you could see a video of my life up there, you'd say, wow, I'm shocked. You're saved. Guess what? I'm shocked too. I'm really shocked. I wouldn't have chosen me. I wouldn't have saved me. I would have dropped, kicked me across the universe into the deepest pit of hell. That's what I would have done to me because that's what I was deserving of. I was the grandest fool. And now I have the grandest message in my lips to give to you. That's Jesus can save your wretched soul. And if you're already saved, 
Aren't you glad he saved your wretched soul? He can save you. You. Jesus says we have to die to ourselves, though. Abimelech was trying to fill up self. Jesus says this, Luke 9, 23 through 25, and I am almost done. This is the best part. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. For whoever would save his life, that means focus on self, build up your own kingdom, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's to say, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. That's what it means to lose your life, to point to another, to say, it's about him, it's about his life, it's not about me, he's better than me. I'm not worthy of him, I'm gonna point you to him. That's what he means. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Some translations say forfeits his own soul. And that's what we saw with Abimelech. What does it profit a man if he gains the kingdom but loses his soul? What do we see of Abimelech? He died by having a stone thrown on his head while he was attempting to murder hundreds of people. Way to go, Abimelech. We all want to be just like you when we grow up. I'm sure your parents are so proud. Putting self aside and focusing on Christ is the path to true meaning, true fulfillment, and true joy. Those who know Christ and understand that truth celebrate it. We celebrate the fact that we point to another one. We know that pointing to self is not the right way. I mean, really, what's so good about you that you think you need to point at it all the time? I mean, really. The only thing that I would want to mimic about you is if something that you're mimicking about Christ. And that's why Paul said, in so many words, mimic me while I mimic Christ. Copy me because I'm copying Christ. Remember when John the Baptist was told that Jesus' disciples were now baptizing people and everybody was going to them and Jesus to get baptized? Remember that? What did John the Baptist say? This is a paraphrase, but he said, that's good. This is how my joy is made complete. He must increase. I must decrease. He said, this is how my joy is made complete. Jesus being lifted up and me being put down. I'm here to point to him. So if he's going up, I'm happy. And what a shift would happen in your life if you were so much less concerned about yourself being lifted up and more concerned about Jesus being lifted up. Let me tell you this about the kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom that's right-side up. Here's how it's upside-down. The less you focus on self and more you focus on Jesus, the happier you are. What you're being told, though, by the wicked one and by your sinful flesh that's so deceitful is, fill up self and you'll be happy. Well, how'd that work out for Abimelech? But if you attempt to advance your own kingdom at the sake of breaking God's law and at the sake of slaying your own conscience, you'll become just like Abimelech. Two more sentences and then I'm done. If you submit yourself to God's word, believing what he says to be true about your sinful state and repenting of your sins and trusting in Christ, you'll be saved and delivered and made right and whole with God. That's how you'll find your life and not lose it. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so true 
and rich and full. And I'm so grateful. Though the end of Abimelech was sad, and this is a sad chapter, I'm grateful, though, that it serves as a great warning to us not to transgress your laws in thinking that transgressing God's laws is the way to happiness and fulfillment and joy. Instead, we know that submitting to the one who has kept your laws, submitting to the one who has taken our place for breaking your laws, that's the way to true life and joy in this world because we're forgiven in him. We love you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.